Good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah, and I serve as one of the elders here at Christ City Church. If you're able, please stand to reverence the reading of God's word. Today's readings are from three New Testament letters, Ephesians, Galatians, and 2 Corinthians. Ephesians 2, 13 through 22. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access to one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. In Galatians 3, 27 and 28, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have closed yourselves with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we were once, once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting these trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors of Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me as we welcome Andrea. God, thank you so much for this beautiful morning that you have given us. Thank you for this body that you have brought together collectively and um, who are with us online. Lord, you see each and every one of us where we are and what we bring to this space. And I just pray now that you would be over Andrea, that you would bless her words, that you would speak through her, and um, that you would just fill her with your Holy Spirit. Um, in your name I pray. Amen. Good morning. It's like preaching in the round here. Do you guys remember that one service we did that was in the round and Justin preached and he just held the thing and like turned the whole time? Yeah, that was great. I'm not gonna do that. Um, good morning, my name is Andrea. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City. I am excited to be here with you this morning. Um, I, I just, I wanna acknowledge as we start that this is what, week five? Six that we've been back together? Four? Four? I don't know. It seems like forever and no time at all. So it's, it's, it's still new to be back. 
I think I want to acknowledge that for myself, that I'm still very much trying to orient myself to being back here. Because um, I came in thinking it was going to be the same, and it's not. Um, so I just want to acknowledge that together, uh, that it's kind of a, still kind of a funky space that we're in. Um, I also want to remind you, it's okay to be weird here. Um, it's okay to move around. It is okay, as I'm preaching today, for you to agree with me. Um, it's okay for you to disagree with me. Um, you can use your voice or your body or your eyes, the part that I can see, um, to voice that. That helps us as preachers. That is helpful. Um, we've been virtual preaching for so long uh, and that's literally just to camera, not that we don't love you, YouTube, we love you too. Um, but the thing that really has been missing earnestly uh, in the preacher heart has been you. Um, being able to see you, hear you, um, and really feel like we're doing some work together this morning. So I want to encourage you um, to, uh, to say amen, to say yes or whatever Justin said that first week, you can always let out a helper Jesus. I will take it. I will take the help her Jesus is. Um, and actually, that's how I'm going to start this morning. I'm going to just say my own help me Jesus, um, and I'm going to pray as we get started this morning. God, this morning, um, I'm coming with a lot bouncing around. Um, we are all coming here, still orienting ourselves to being back together. God, I know that there is work that you are, um, that you are doing. Uh, I know that there is work that you are inviting us into. I pray, God, that um, as, we, um, as we sit together today with some, um, with the, some words, with this conversation that we're having, I ask, God, that you would be palpably present. Thank you for your presence with us when we know it and when we don't know it. Thank you that we have um, known it, that... Um, that we've been able to see your spirit, feel your spirit, even this morning as we've worshiped together. I ask God for your guidance. Spirit, would you lead us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So this is uh, the second week of a series that we're calling Race, Faith, and the Kingdom of God. Super light. Um, so, we're doing this series for a lot of reasons, um, but one of them is certainly, while we haven't been a church that has historically shied away from talking about race, we have struggled consistently with the practical implications of what it means to live in a racialized society and also pursue what God is calling us to. We wanna confront the realities of race as a church community who is committed to the gospel and within this church body, we, we want to be equitable, we want to be just, we want to pursue shalom and wholeness as the Spirit leads us. And for once, we want the church to be at the front part, the forefront of justice and rightness, for the church to model what it means to live in the now and the not yet kingdom of God instead of just reacting to what's happening societally. We want to be faithful to our calling to be a multiracial, multiethnic, multiclass, multigenerational, fully inclusive church. And so these next five weeks and, the, and today and last week as well, are, they're all in service to that end. We are trying to take the next faithful step. 
Now, I want to remind us at the beginning that when I say that we're trying to take the next faithful step, the we is not just the pastors or the staff or the elders. The we is truly collective. This is all of us as a church community. And I also want to remind us that the next step is not just a sermon series. Thank you, God. If we claim to be a community that values justice, that values inclusion, we actually have to value justice and inclusion. And if we claim to be a community that wants to see the flourishing of God's kingdom on display in every life and every sphere of life, we don't just prove that by preaching about it, though that's important, but we collectively show up and we do that work. That's a reminder for us this morning. Last week, Justin helped us to remember why race matters, because it does. He reminded us to start at the end in Revelation 7, where the Apostle John describes a vision of where we're headed. I'll read it for you again this morning. This is Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So this is where we're ending up. This is where we should be going. Justin also offered three um, simple action items for us to think about to get us started as we engage in this work as people who come with different experiences, with different perspectives on racial identity, and who are on different parts of this collective journey um, that we're on together. Uh, they were learn and unlearn, serve and show up, and find your people. I hope you had a chance this week to consider how you're being called to engage. And if you haven't listened to Justin's sermon, or if you haven't taken some time to reflect, I would really encourage you to do both of those things this week. This week, we're going to focus our conversation around the place where race, faith, and the kingdom of God intersect with the church, and specifically our church. Today's sermon is titled, A Beloved Community. So Martin Luther King Jr. popularized this term, beloved community. He used it to describe the end goal of the pursuit of racial justice and equity. He defined it as a community in which every person thrived fully. And it was a description of his understanding of how race and faith intersected with the real life situation that he was placed in. And beloved community was his call to those working alongside him and even those yet to join him the beloved community. The early church, while centuries removed from Dr. King and his work, uh, also struggled to define the goal of their new community too. In Paul's letters, we hear him exhorting the young church to remember their call to reconciliation, to be reconciled to God, to be reconciled to one another, to build and sustain a community of beloveds who know their worth and identity in light of God and in light of one another, to become a place where every person thrives, where wholeness is pursued, where shalom, God's wholeness, God's life, God's love is enacted. And that is also a beloved community. And this vision stands firmly for us today. What would it mean for our church to be a beloved community in every sense of that term? 
What does it mean for us to be a beloved community within the reality of our context, to pursue racial equity, to pursue human thriving, and to hold together while we do that? Being a part of a diverse church is one thing, but in the words of Dr. Corey Little Edwards, God has not called the church to diversity. God has called the church to oneness. Those are different. And this is a distinction in the beloved community. So this morning, I'd like to try to define three characteristics of being a beloved community for us. There are many. <laughs> My hope is that this sermon is the beginning of a conversation and not the end of one. That is certainly always the goal. And I hope that as we continue to press into being a community of beloveds, that we're able to not only define more clearly what beloved community looks like, but that we'll actually be able to be known by these characteristics. All right, so that's where we're going this morning, three characteristics. So let's just jump in. So first, a beloved community is a place of reconciliation. Now, I know the word reconcile and reconciliation gets thrown around a lot in race conversations, very particularly in the church. And in many instances, the term racial reconciliation has actually come to define something that it's not. It's, it's come to define this sort of um, semi-colorblind, false unity in which forgiveness is demanded and justice is very much overlooked. And that's not the term I mean to use here. You may have a gut reaction to it. I, I want us to look at the broader sense of what it means to be a place of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, which is one of our passages today, reminds us of the centrality of reconciliation to the gospel. It reads, so if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to God's self, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us and we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Reconciliation is central to the gospel. We're reminded here that God is in the business of reconciling. And if we are to become a beloved community, we should be too. At Christ City, our vision is to see the flourishing of God's kingdom on display in every life and every sphere of life in DC and beyond. And that is to say that we want to see every life and every sphere of life made whole. We want to see it reconciled. Our vision is a proclamation that God is reconciling everything. I think it's our tendency when we hear that God is reconciling, that God is reconciling everything, to immediately turn to reconciliation between people. And that's right. Don't get me wrong. That's right. In the beloved community, our destinies are tied to one another. There is what Dr. King describes as a network of mutuality between us. There is a recognition that we need one another. I listened to a, a podcast by Dr. Brian Bantam this week in, in my preparation. I will include that in the podcast notes. It was really good. Um, and he's, he's talking about being 
a person of color very specifically in a multiracial church. And he said that in a community like this, what we say to one another is, I'm not going to be who I am without you. But that when we say that to one another, we say it both as a fact and we say it as a commitment to each other. We are inextricably tied together. And we are also determined to not leave one another behind in our high call to oneness. I'm not gonna be who I am without you. And in God, we are reconciled to one another in this way. But that's not the only thing that God is in the process of reconciling. God reconciles the things within us too. And if we're to be a beloved community, it's important that we remember both parts of what this ministry of reconciliation is. So it's been both encouraging and difficult uh, for me to hear and carry many of your stories in these recent months, uh, particularly around racial identity. This last year and a half was um, difficult for many of us uh, who identify as BIPOC or black indigenous people of color. Uh, this past year and a half was having to process uh, violent traumatic events against people who looked like us um, and also having to do it in a pandemic. Um, I know for me, I sought out therapy for the first time in my whole life, uh, needing to process through the racial and ethnic parts of my identity in a safe place. So I'm a Korean American transracial adoptee. That's a lot of words. But what that means is I was born in South Korea and I was adopted into an American family that was of a different race and ethnicity than I am. My parents are white. And while they later also adopted uh, my two older sisters who are also ethnically Korean, I did not grow up with a strong connection to my ethnic heritage or, or even my racial identity. There was a big gap. Now for me, it's taken having children for whom I wanna steward my identity and experience. And it's taken being called to pastor, having to minister out of everything that I am to begin putting these pieces of my identity together. I grew up in a predominantly black community, but I also mostly grew up with racial color blindness. I, I would not have self-identified as a person of color until I was in my 30s. Navigating racial identity in a healthy way and as faithfulness has become urgent for me in the last few years, and that has included recognizing the way race and ethnicity shape who I am, who God created me to be, and who I am becoming. But the process has proved to be very difficult. I can't even reconcile my own racial identity like within myself. After so many years of thinking it was inconsequential and it didn't matter. But in the work that I've done in therapy and by the grace and goodness of God, I have been reminded of this, of what we are talking about today, that God is in the business of reconciliation, of people to one another, yes, but also of the parts in me that I just can't seem to figure out how to put together. God is reconciling all things. In the, in the beloved community, we come to God to be made whole. We offer God the things we cannot hold together ourselves. God, the reconciler, holds things together that we cannot, both our relationships to one another and the things within ourselves. Both of those things. Beloved community is a place of reconciliation. 
Secondly, a beloved community recognizes reality. So Martin Luther King's idea of beloved community wasn't this like far off vision of the peaceable kingdom where the lion lays down with the lamb. It was informed by that, but it was based in reality. For us, the vision of Revelation 7 isn't just this like lofty, later vision, but it actually is something that we can pursue and experience now. I think here at Christ City, we come back a lot to the now and the not yet nature of the kingdom of God. And that it's come, but not yet in its fullness. We talk about that a lot. And we do that because that's what it means to hold together, that we know that God will reconcile all things. God will make all things whole. And also recognize that things are very, very broken right now. When, when we try to live into beloved community without recognizing reality, it leads us to a place in which there is no urgency to be reconciled. There is no present need for justice or rightness. And again, this is where we have failed in our attempts at racial reconciliation. When we dismiss the racial realities of the day in favor for like a, a far off ideal, that is not hope, that is carelessness. And it leads to harm where there should be healing. To recognize reality is to acknowledge that in beloved community, there are things that are being reconciled, and there are also things that are being reckoned with, both in and among us together. So there are things that are being reconciled, and there are things that are being reckoned with. We will struggle in beloved community together. We will hurt one another. We will fight. We're going to break some stuff. We will disappoint one another. We will do harm, and we will receive harm. If I'm being honest, it was really, really hard uh, for me to hear the statistics and anecdotal data that Justin shared last week, in which the people of color at Christ City carry a disproportionate burden within our church. That was really, really hard. In our most recent census, we found that despite making up less than half of the church, uh, BIPOC congregants were most likely to volunteer, and they were most likely to give, amongst other things. And I tell you, Church, can I be honest with you this morning? That made me angry. <laughs> that made me angry. We've been walking this way a long time together now, some of us. And I was disappointed that we are still struggling to be a place where we all thrive and that one group of people doesn't have to pay a higher price to be here. I was angry. It's right for me to feel angry. That's right. It's right to hear the ways that we're getting it wrong. And it's also right to realize that getting it wrong does not always mean that we are outside of the bounds of beloved community. Thinking that we're gonna be free from struggle within the beloved community is what will lead us to despair and to abandon the whole deal. Again, this is the kind of thinking that has led to the American church trading truth for a sense of false unity in which hard things are just swept under the rug for the sake of false peace. We're not gonna do that here. We don't wanna do that. To quote Brian Bantam again, in beloved community, we don't try to minimize the struggle, but we try to find people to struggle with. That's the distinction. The absence of struggle and conflict is not what defines the beloved community. 
the way we deal with struggle and conflict, that is what defines the beloved community. We will struggle. We will need to discern together what things are to be reconciled and what things are to be reckoned with. The beloved community is a very distinctly now and not yet kingdom place. We walk in discernment and we have to have imagination and creativity to determine how we move forward together as God works and as God leads. And we do that, as we do that, we hold in tandem both the hope of the full kingdom and the recognition of reality. In beloved community, we recognize reality. The third characteristic of a beloved community is that it has an alternative economy, an alternative economy. The way the world operates is not the way the beloved community operates. What privileges somebody in the world does not privilege them in the beloved community. The passages of scripture uh, that we read today were written by the Apostle Paul to the early church. They were also trying to figure out what it would look like to be in a new kind of community together, particularly in difference including racial difference. This passage from Galatians 3 is one that you have heard before. We recently just did a a series on uh, Galatians. As many of you were baptized, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Again, we are called to oneness, oneness. I want to name again that this is another thing that has turned the American church from pursuing actual reconciliation, actual beloved community, and instead we've tried to push colorblindness as unity, as if the text somehow undermines or erases the identities that it names. That is an incomplete understanding of Paul's message here. This is not saying that in this community you're no longer a Jew or a Greek or a gender or a particular social class. That would be ignoring reality. (laughs) What he is doing is emphasizing the way that those realities carry value like currency in the world. And that doesn't work the same way in the beloved community. So where the world has created hierarchy and division in our differences, the beloved community creates righteous equity. Where the world monetizes and even exploits race and class and gender amongst other things, the beloved community restores their true Imago Dei value. They have value, but we've, we've gotten it wrong in the world. The world's currency is power but that is not the currency that the beloved community deals in. The beloved community operates in love. And maybe that sounds cheesy, but they are different. Martin Luther King talks about this uh, in one of his sermons from 1957, where he says, the end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform opposers into friends. The type of love that I stress here is not eros, a sort of aesthetic or romantic love. It's not philia, a sort of reciprocal love between personal friends. But it is agape, 
which is understanding goodwill for all people. It's an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. It is the love of God working in the lives of humanity. Friends, the, the kingdom of God is not built upon the fragile powers that the world is built upon. Now, I wanna be clear that it can be appropriate for us as the church to discerningly deal in power, particularly when it comes to matters of justice. That's, that's the basis of community organizing, right? Leveraging power for change. We will continue to do that. But I wanna make the distinction that within the beloved community, the way we move forward, the way we grow together is not by accruing power and wielding it upon one another. We don't bring in our power as the world has given us and just throw its weight around in the beloved community. That currency is not good here. Your money's no good here. In beloved community, we are instead invited to examine our relationship to power instead of wielding it. We're invited into a space in which the least is greatest and where there is no fear to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're invited into true generosity where we're generous, not just with our resources, but we're generous in our theology. We're generous with our stories. We're generous with ourselves. We're generous with other people. For people of color in the beloved community, this kind of generosity might just be being here. It might be being here and risking getting hurt risking love. For white folks, generosity in this way could look like listening well. It can look like seeking out ways to center the narrative of others. For all of us, generosity can look like giving one another the benefit of the doubt. It's correcting each other where correction is needed. It's being honest about where harm is being done. And it's recognizing the distance between where we are and where somebody else might be on the path that we're all walking together. And we operate in love. And this is why things like white supremacy, like racism, like privilege by class, by gender, by race, by anything else has no place in the beloved community. Those things can't survive here because they're founded upon and they feed upon power and hierarchy and those are not in great supply in the beloved community. It, from, from 2 Corinthians, the old is gone, the new has come. In the beloved community, barriers of hostility are destroyed and gone, yes, but something new is also created. And it doesn't operate the way the world does. It operates in a new and different way. We don't have a currency of power here. We have a currency of love. Now, friends, I don't this morning want you to hear, you know, like a utopian dream bubble from me this morning, okay? I think we've been through too much for that. Pursuing beloved community is hard. I know that, that even our pursuit as a church, our pursuit of beloved community has irreparably harmed people. And that is not okay. I know that for some of us, particularly BIPOC people, the risk of harm might be too great right now to pursue beloved community right now. And that's also okay. What I do want you to hear, what I do want you to remember is our call to oneness. We are not called to diversity. We're not called to just mere tolerance of one another in the beloved community. The reason we do things like affinity groups, which are great and you should sign up for one, 
Uh, the reason we do things like affinity groups is not just to like siphon off to our safe spaces where we're all similar so that we can just, when we're together, we can tolerate the spaces where we have to be together. That's not what it's for. It is so important to have those spaces, but we need to remember that things like affinity groups, those are a means, those are not the end. We are not called to tolerance of one another, we are called to oneness and a conversation around race and faith and the kingdom of God is not complete without a recognition of that call. We are called to oneness. And at the same time, neither is a conversation on race, faith, and the kingdom of God complete without remembering that our oneness is in Christ. Our oneness is in Christ. This is Ephesians 2. I'm gonna read the whole thing. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. He came near and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Friends, Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the cornerstone. We are one, not together, but we are one in Christ. We don't come to the beloved community solely for one another to just like lose ourselves in one another. We are centered together and we are held together in Christ. It's not enough to come to, to come to this community for each other. That's not enough. We must recognize and acknowledge that we are held together in oneness in Christ. Howard Thurman, one of uh, Martin Luther King's mentors, also talks about the beloved community and he writes about how the beloved community refuses to separate the means of revolution from the ends to be achieved by it. They cannot be separated. I was reading some writing by uh, the Reverend Dr. Matthew Watson this week, and, um, and I was reminded that Jesus is both the means and the end of oneness, of shalom, of wholeness, of justice. Jesus is the means and Jesus is the end of the beloved community. To quote, to quote Watson, in Christ, we become more of who we are meant to be. In Christ, I better understand the beautiful parts of my race, my ethnicity, my culture, and yours. In Christ, you become more of who you are as Christ intended. I become more Asian American as Christ intended. You become more black as Christ intended. We become more human, more alive, more understood, more celebrated, more cherished, more human in Christ. Jesus is the means, Jesus is the end, and in Jesus, that's how the beloved community is possible. Amen. Howard Thurman also wrote this about the beloved community. 
That which makes any community become the beloved community is the quality of the human relations experienced by the people who live in it. The term itself is an abstraction. It becomes concrete in a given time and place in the midst of living human beings. It cannot be brought into being by order. It's an achievement of the human spirit as humanity seeks to fulfill their high destiny as children of God. This is our task, Christ City. Is there learning that needs to happen here? Yeah. Is there learning that needs to happen outside of here? Yes. It is our task to live in beloved community as children of God, to flesh out beloved community in our context, in our larger community with these particular one another's. It's, it's our task to, in Christ, be reconciled to God as God's children and be reconciled to one another as siblings who are committed to the beloved community. And that is not in spite of our differences. That is being fully embodied in our differences. And we do that with the hope that God is doing work that we ourselves cannot do, even as we are called to join in on the work. That is our task. It's a high calling church. The, the call to oneness is a high, high call. But God leads. God is faithful. In Christ, the beloved community is possible. Let me pray for us this morning. God, um, Beloved community is hard. And we recognize the ways in which you've called us to it. A lot of us here have history together. We felt that call. We felt the way we've disappointed one another. But we've also seen the ways in which you work, the ways in which you allow us to live in a beloved community. Ooh, this message was hard. Um, God, I, I don't even fully know what to ask, Lord. I stand here with people who, um, who I love, who I have hurt, who have hurt me. I stand here with, uh, with people who I love who are all over the map as far as where we are on this journey of uh, racial identity, both uh, as individuals and as a community. God, I, I simply ask this morning that you continue to guide us. God, would you prompt our hearts this morning to be reconciled to you first? Would you remind us that you are reconciling all things, but that includes the stuff in us. And if we don't allow you to reconcile the things in us, we can't be reconciled to one another. God, I ask for the creation of the beloved community in this community, at Christ City, in this cafeteria, in the homes where we meet, during the week for small groups, in the ways that we are out in the community with our neighbors, I pray, God, that you would create, that we would create together the beloved community. I pray that you would protect us, protect us from harm, and God, I, I pray that you would protect us from 
the hopelessness that is so easy to feel as we pursue this together. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are with us in this call. In Jesus' name, amen.